Today's scripture is Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, so I'm Andrew Jones. I'm the campus pastor here. If I don't, if I don't know you, it's good to be here with you. And uh, it's Labor Day weekend, as Jordan said. And so we want to talk about work because the best time to talk about work is when you have Monday off, right? It's the best time. Um, so we're going to talk about work, and I'm, I'm really excited about this message. But you may be sitting here thinking, okay, Andrew, what do you know about a real job? Uh, it's a great question. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, my first job, just so you know, it was not in ministry. Uh, I got a job in the private sector as my first job. Um, I worked for a national company in sales and customer relations. So that was actually my, my first job. Um, I mean, I was working the sales floor at Linens and things is actually what I was doing. Um, so <laughs> uh, maybe, I don't even know if they're in business anymore, so you might not even know what this is. So it's 40 hours a week uh, talking about thread counts and Egyptian cotton and shams and Euro shams and memory foam. And uh, so if you have questions about any of that stuff, uh, don't ask me. I don't want to talk to you about it. Uh, I, I, was, I was just out of high school, uh, I was trying to make money, uh, and I was excited to start real life, you ever remember that? Uh, and so I got this job, and it was really the only job I could get, and, and honestly, it was, it was terrible, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stand it. Uh, believe it or not, I was not super uh, passionate about, about betting. Uh, my coworkers were, were crazy, my bosses kept quitting, not because of me, I don't think, but, uh, and I would always mess up the cash register. Uh, I've just never, numbers are, I can't do them. So I would always mess up that uh, every time. And after a few weeks, I actually remember this moment sitting in my car over a lunch break by myself, <laughs> uh, right? <laughs> uh, thinking, if this is all there is to work, uh, count me out. I, I don't want to do this. Have you ever had a, you know, a job like that? You know, as a pastor, you'd think that uh, the most common struggles I hear from uh, the congregation would be things around uh, marriage or uh, kids or parents or you know secret struggles with, with sin and, and things like that. And, uh, uh, but by far, my most common conversation, even when it doesn't start off about work, it inevitably turns to struggle at work. Every, almost every conversation I have, bo- bosses that are bad, coworkers that are stab you in the back, work and travel schedules that are unsustainable, uh, or paychecks that are few and far between. And, and, and that, just, that isn't just a Christ community thing, okay? That's everybody. I think as a culture and as a society, we deeply struggle with our work. And, and the New York Times had an article in 2014 called Why You Hate Work, uh, which is a, f- a funny title. It's, it's, it's a little bit dated, like I said, it's from 2014, uh, but I think it still rings true today. Just, I just want you to listen to this opening paragraph. The way we're working isn't working. Even if you're lucky enough to have a job, you're probably not very excited to get to the office in the morning. You don't feel much appreciated while you're there. 
you find it difficult to get your most important work accomplished amid all the distractions, and you don't believe that what you're doing makes much of a difference anyway. By the time you get home, you're pretty much running on empty, and yet you're still answering emails until you fall asleep. And then here, I'm waiting, it gets worse, okay? So just 30% of employees from the same article in America, 30% of employees feel engaged at work. According to a 2013 Gallup poll, and around the world, when you expand across 142 countries, the proportion of employees who feel engaged at work is 13%. In short, for most of us, work is a depleting, dispiriting experience, and in some obvious ways, is getting worse. Now, that may not be how you would describe your job right now, but be honest. I mean, you've had days like that. You've had weeks like that. Maybe you've had months and years like that. Even when you love your job and you feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, the realities of other people or market pressure or increased expenses, they, they, can, st- they can defeat you. And we, we've been in a series, if you've been with us, on the stories we tell ourselves in life, the stories that shape how we think, how we live, how we interact in our world. So here's our story, here's our question for the morning, okay? When work is terrible, Whatever work looks like for you, when it's terrible, what story do you tell yourself? What do you say to get through those moments? What motivates you in those moments to keep going? Because I think more often than not, what we tell ourselves is something like, it's, it's just a job. It's just a job. Have you, ever, have you ever had this moment at work, you close your eye, you, got, you get the email or that phone call or that person comes in and talks to you and, they, and they, it drives you insane and you close your eyes and you clench your fists and you say, it's okay, it's just a job. <laughs> See, in that story, work is something to endure, it's something to get through, it's something to survive, it's a means to other better parts of life, right? My job will pay for my weekend. Um, just two more weeks and then I get to go on vacation. Just seven more years and I, and I get to retire and never do this anymore, it's just a job. That's certainly what 17-year-old Andrew Jones was telling himself as he refolded that fitted sheet and, and tried to put it back in that impossibly small packaging. <laughs> It's just, a, it's just a job. It's just a job. And, and let's be totally honest, right? The church and pastors have not always helped this very much. The church's story about work often begins in uh, Genesis chapter 3, which if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that is when God's design as good creation gets, uh, goes to smash because of sin. Sin enters the world. And it has a profound implication on our work. And, you know, this is often where the story the church tells about work begins. By the sweat of your brow, this is from Genesis 3, uh, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. We say, well, yeah, work is hard. It's full of thorns and thistles. And then you'll die. (laughs) And the church in so many ways has echoed, it's just a job. It's just a way for you to support your family, which is good. And then uh, to pay salaries for spiritual people, like pastors and missionaries and, and the like, so that we, we can actually do God's work. Your job is just a job. And I hope I'm not the only one here who, who, who thinks there's got to be a better story about work out there than that. I hope there's more meaning to the next 50 years of my life and yours. So, so maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering the same thing. And I know this is a, this is a very deeply, it's, it's a deeply personal topic. I know that. And I want to hear, we want to hear from you on it. So we, we, we mentioned this before, but, but we would, I would love your questions around work. So be, be thinking about them and text them in. 
I'm going to hit this a little harder later, but we, we need your questions. Okay, we, we, we need your help with this. You know, uh, we're not the only ones, actually, that have, <coughs> have had issues with our story about work. So thousands of years ago, uh, when uh, Moses wrote Genesis, and I, I'm pretty sure he wrote Genesis, he, he was writing to a people in desperate need of a story for work. Israel, if you'll remember, right, they were slaves, most of them, or ex-slaves. They had the worst possible job you can imagine, in, in, in conditions worse than we would wish on our, our enemies. And, and they were told, no doubt, by their Egyptian slave masters over and over again that the reason your work is so hard, the reason it's so bad, the reason it's so menial and so backbreaking is because you are cursed by the gods. You and your people are slaves, you were created to be slaves, and you will forever be slaves. No doubt they heard that over and over and over again. So imagine their surprise when Moses or whoever read Genesis 1 out loud to them for the first time. And I want you to read verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Not slaves. Image bearers. Made after their creator. There's another shocking part in Genesis 2. So in Genesis 1, right, it's this wide-angle lens Here's how the universe was made. Genesis 2, it zeroes in on the Garden of Eden, the place where Adam and Eve will live. And God, uh, said, this is what uh, Genesis 2 says in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Now, if you grew up in church or you've, you've heard this, uh, this text a lot, it's easy to miss this, so I, I want you to catch this. It doesn't say God created a garden. It says he planted a garden. Right? It's this image of God getting his hands dirty, working hard in his good world. He's a worker. God says, I, I, I'm a worker. And he says, I, I did not make you to be slaves. That's not the purpose of your job. I made you to be workers like me. When God makes us in his image, he creates us with work in mind because he himself is a worker. We are reflecting him in how we work. God is saying, I made you fruitful. I made you to cultivate and keep, protect, and develop the garden, this good world that I've created. And that is where the biblical story of work begins. And there's so much more we could say here on Genesis 1 and 2. I can't possibly say it all. But here's, how I, here's the big idea I want us to walk away with here. The story of work in the Bible. It's that God wants your work. He wants it. Now, he's powerful enough that he doesn't need it, but he wants it. And, and here's why that's important. I, think about it this way. Uh, why didn't God just make a world with, you know, houses and the arts and commerce and schools, and iPhones, and Netflix. Why, why didn't he just do that? Could he have done it? Sure, absolutely. He could have made the world a fun house, made Adam and Eve and said, go play. And if you think of something that's missing, come to me and I'll make it for you. He doesn't do that. 
He creates a world with all the raw material and all the potential imaginable, and he makes man and woman in his image, and he says, get to work. Make it better. Cultivate and keep. Now, we often read the story, and we think God made Adam and Eve to be fruitful, like, you know, uh, have a bunch of kids. And that, that is absolutely there. Procreation is absolutely there. But the idea of fruitfulness here is more than just having babies. It's the fruit of our work and our hands and our lives. And in Genesis 2, God makes Eve not because Adam can't have children, but because he needs help. He needs a colleague. He needs a coworker. Adam realizes this human job description is too big to do by myself. God says, don't worry, I have a plan for that. And see, and this is one of those places where I think the church, we've, we've often gotten this wrong. The story of work does not begin with the fall. This is Genesis 1 and 2. Work is not a product of sin. It's, it's a gift from God who wants our contribution. I don't want you to miss that. It's a gift. And here's another place where we've gotten it wrong in this text. Okay, the story of work is also why the calling of singleness is so critical. We are called to be workers regardless of our marital status. And, and being married is not the point of life. We can take a text like this and, and so often uh, we use it simply to teach about marriage. And marriage is great and it's in the text, I get it, but, but God made us to have meaningful lives of contribution, married or single. And don't miss this, before Adam got married, he had a job. That's very important. God wants your work no matter your relationship status. He wants your work also because he wants, you to, he wants you to help make his good world even better. And here's what I mean by that. Andy Crouch is a <clears throat> Christian writer and speaker and uh, he said this once and I've never forgotten it. Uh, he put this so well. Uh, he said there's a reason that, that God's creation in Genesis 1 is only good. So you remember at each, at each day of creation, the, the, the last thing God says is, and it was, it was good, it was good. It's only good until humans show up. Once he makes man and woman, after that, he says, it's very good. Now, here's, here's how. Uh, grapes are good. This is what Andy Crouch said. He said, grapes are good. Wine is very good. Or maybe that, that, maybe that doesn't resonate. So here's another one. Milk is good. You're from Wisconsin. Cheese is very good right? Sound is good. Music is very good. Sand is good. Silicon processing chips for computers are very good. <laughs> and he said, you know what the difference is between the two? Work. The difference between God's good world and God's very good world is his call and empowerment on our lives to work. He wants our work. He looks at our contribution, whether it's paid, unpaid, white collar, blue collar, pink collar, student, stay-at-home parent, and he says, that is very good. That's, that's the story of work. God wants your work. He made you for it. And when we do it well, he says, that is very good. And yes, when Adam and Eve sin, it completely disrupts our relationship with work, and we still feel the effects of that. Every job in this room, every vocation, every calling has, has thorns and thistles as a part of it. But God still delights in our work, even now. And you get glimpses of his delight, don't you? When you, when you do something well, that feeling of satisfaction, 
You were designed for that. You were made for that. God wants you to have that. And he wants your work. But that's not, that's not the whole story. He wants our work, and, but also our neighbor needs our work. Our neighbor needs our work by God's design. And this is more implied in Genesis 1 and 2, and it's a theme that begins there, and it goes all through the scriptures. But I want to point you to that when you get to the New Testament, you get to Paul the Apostle, he's writing to the church, he's writing to God's redeemed people about work in Ephesians chapter 4, and here's what he says. He says, let the thief, no, this is verse 28 of chapter 4, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Genesis, Paul, it's not just a job. Paul says, without your job, this is, the, this is what he's saying, without your job, how could you love your neighbor? First of all, if you don't have a job, you won't have capacity to actually love your neighbor. Second, you love your neighbor in profound ways through your everyday work, the work right in front of you. Doing your job well is one of the most loving things you can possibly do for your neighbor. And when you think that your, jo- your work is just a job, when I think that, we are robbing ourselves of an opportunity to realize the, the beauty and grandeur of God's design for work for everybody. And now here's what I mean. So I, I get, and I get this in conversations all the time. Uh, think, think, you know, Andrew, my work doesn't matter. I'm not a teacher, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a counselor, I don't work with people. Um, I uh, repair air conditioners, I create software, I fix people's plumbing or their car or whatever, and then I come to church and I want to volunteer here because then I can actually love people. Now listen, or I volunteer somewhere else. Listen, I love that you volunteer. That's an amazing act of service in and of itself. But so is your job. Your job is too. Fixing someone's drain, right? Making sure the good water goes this way and the bad water goes that way. That is a profound act of love. And if you don't believe, wait until something happens and then you'll understand. Fixing someone's car so they can get to work and provide for their family and get them to school when they couldn't have done it without you? What, 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 do, you, what do you think that is, if not love? Right, I, running a business, keeping people employed, providing services and products for other businesses so that they can do their job. It's amazing. Going to school. Maybe, that's where you're, maybe you're in school right now for training and expertise in a field maybe yet to be determined. That is investing for your neighbor You need that, but your neighbor needs it too. God says it's very good. I mean, let me, I'm up here, right? And I'm talking to you and I'm I'm reading from paper. Um, And I could never have created this piece of paper. Not in a lifetime of work could I have created this. I'd have to learn how to fell a tree, which that's not happening, right? (laughs) I would have to create the tools to fell that tree, which I'm not, I mean, I, I don't, I, and then I'd have to do other stuff. I don't even know how to make paper. I'd have to look on YouTube to know how to do it, but I'd have to invent YouTube first to know what happens. You see, there's a profound interconnectedness in our work. You see that? Some, hundreds, thousands of neighbors, people I don't know, people I may never meet, they put their hard work into getting this into my printer so that by it, I am loved, and by it, you are loved. You see that? That ripple effect? 
our work by God's design, it can love our neighbor in ways that you can't, we, we can't even imagine. There's a profound purpose to your job right now. Whatever it is. You are cultivating God's garden. You are loving people all over the world. And isn't that so much better than it's just a job? Don't settle for that. If we make this biblical story of work our story, amazing things can happen. And I'm convinced that the church at work is one of the most profound gospel witnesses in our world today. So, here's what I want to do. I want to get practical. There's more we could say there, but I want to get practical with our, our remaining time. So I, I want to share three quick thoughts, ideas, that will help all of us get better at work, whatever that is, on Tuesday. Not tomorrow, but Tuesday. So whether that's school, home, work, paid, unpaid, wherever God is calling you to contribute, Okay, I want us to think about these three things. Here's the first. Start a conversation. Start a conversation about faith and work. And let me explain why I want to start there. So on the one hand, talking about faith and work is very simple, right? We're kind of doing it. So it's, hey, God wants your work, and your neighbor, your, your neighbor needs your work, so work hard. And that, that, there's a sense in which we all understand that. But the more you internalize those two things uh, in your own field— whatever that is, uh, it gets way more complicated. Um, so let me give you an example. So when, uh, when the business owner begins saying, okay I, okay, I get God's story, I get it, uh, what does that say about worker compensation in my company? Or uh, what does that say about vacation policy? What does God's design say about that? Uh, what, uh, what about hiring practices? Or uh, you're a college administrator. You begin wondering, not only how are we going to stay solvent as an institution of higher learning, but how are we going to make our services accessible to, to students who cannot afford it but need it? That's a great question. How do we love our vulnerable neighbors well? Or when the realtor, if you're in real estate, wonders, okay, if housing prices keep doing what they're doing here, uh, either this, this neighborhood will, will plummet or it'll be unaffordable for, for half the people who live here now, right? These, these kinds of dilemmas and questions, they go on and on and on and on in every conceivable field of work. And guess what? I'm a pastor. I don't have the answers, <laughs> right? I, there's no book in the Bible about healthcare reform. There are principles there about healthcare. But there's like, I, I only come, your pastor only comes with half the conversation. Right? My training is in knowing God's story and helping you to know God's story. So I come with that part, but you are the expert in your field. You bring more than half of the conversation to the table. We need to start a conversation. And that's part of why we have this text and number. I would love to spend time on, it'll be on Tuesday, not Monday, because of the holiday. But I would love to spend time as a staff with your questions, processing what you're going through. And maybe we'll have some answers, but frankly, we just need the questions. We don't even know what questions you're asking. Help us. Help us start a conversation. More than that, begin to think through who are others in your field or in related fields who can help process your day-to-day -day work with you. Start a conversation. I'm going to give you two practical ways to start a conversation outside of the ones I've given you. One 
This is exactly what Made to Flourish is trying to do in the CG 2017 conference. Start a conversation. I know I've talked about this before. We had Matt Rustin here. He's the executive director. He preached with us a few weeks ago. Okay, the whole purpose of this time is to hear from thought leaders in the area of faith and work, like Tom Nelson and Andy Crouch will also be there as well. But perhaps just as important, if not more important, is to hear from those in Kansas City who are doing work in, in every conceivable field to get together and, have, and think creatively about how do all of our vocations together serve the common good. That is it's precisely what we're talking about. So if you have the margin in October to go, please do. I'm definitely going to be there. I would love to see you there and hear what God's doing uh, while you're, list <clears throat> you're listening. Uh, you can go and register online uh, on their website, on Made to Flourish's website. So I, 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 I encourage you, please think about doing that. Second, there's a brand new book out on how our uh, faith and work uh, by God's design loves and worships God and loves our neighbor. It's called The Economics of Neighborly Love. Uh, some guy wrote it. I can't remember his name, uh, but I, here's his picture. Here's who wrote it. Yeah, our own, our beloved senior pastor, Tom Nelson. He will not come up here and plug his book, but I will do that. Um, this, seriously, this is a great next step to continue this conversation. We are giving away free copies in our lobby uh, in, in this kind of this back corner. If you haven't seen that yet, please grab one per family. We don't have a, a bajillion of them. But as you're doing that, I want you to think through who is one person I can read this with. Is it a friend? Is it a coworker? Is it a spouse? Someone who can help me read this, not just this theory, but how do we begin actually applying these principles to our job, our work? So grab a book, start a conversation. Step one, start a conversation. Second thing, worship at work. Worship at work. If what we are saying so far is true about work, then we have to realize that all work is a deeply, profoundly spiritual act of worship. All work. God is not waiting on you to get a new job before he can use you and before he's pleased with, your, with you. And I, and I know many of you are, are deeply dissatisfied with your work for lots of reasons. I've talked to you about them. Boss, coworker, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. I'm not making the contribution I was trained for or that I want. Or maybe you've, you had to take a job to make ends meet and you're, you're not proud of that. You're ashamed of that. I, I need you to hear me say this. God wants your work wherever you are and he is not ashamed of your work. God wants your work wherever you are. Your contribution, and he is not ashamed. He, he's, he says it's very good. What you do is very good. That doesn't mean you shouldn't look for a better fit. It means that God is ready to use you right now. He's not waiting. And if we do our work unto him as worship, he's designed it to form us into greater Christ-likeness. So in other words, our work is never a waste to God. It is never a waste to your neighbor. And it is never a waste for you. So do your work unto him. Worship at work. Here's a couple thoughts. Start your day, maybe, by inviting Jesus, the master, the creator of the universe, into your work. Ask him for wisdom and guidance as you lead. So, you know, we don't remember this often. Jesus is brilliant. You ever think about that? <laughs> like, we're like, how do these physicists know how to deal with the atom? He made the atom. He designed it. You think he has anything to say about that? <laughs> Invite him into your work. 
He's better at your job than you are. Really. And he wants, he wants to train you there. It's how he's designed you. Invite him into your work. Um, what would God say if he were at the table for your performance review? Ask yourself that question periodically. Uh, we, you know, we often think, okay, my supervisor's there, my, my board is there, whoever, but it, if, if God were at the table, what would he say you need to work on? What would he say, you know, is there, do you struggle with diligence? You cut corners. Do you, um, do you overwork at the neglect of other parts of your calling, of his calling on your life? Um, uh, like friendship and spiritual community and family and, and children. And are you an empowering boss like God? You read Genesis 1 and 2, incredibly empowering boss. Are you empowering or are you controlling and manipulative with your people? Uh, what would God say you need to, to grow in? Okay, begin to see your, your worship, your, your work as worship and invite God in. Okay, last, last thought. Find rest at work. Find rest. I wish we could do a whole sermon on this. We can't. I, I love you too much to do that to you. So um, the only way we're going to get better at work is when we can rest at work. In, in, in many ways, this is, this is like the key to the Christian understanding of work. See, there's a great irony in our times. As we have replaced the biblical story of work with others, we have rested less and less and less each generation. That's because until we know through and through that on the cross, Jesus has done the work of our identity and our meaning and our value. That as human beings, it is rooted in his work and not ours, not our moral work, not our spiritual work, not our vocational work. Until we accept that, we will always work as if our lives depend upon it. We will work to justify our lives, our very existence. Our job performance, our salary, our title, Whatever it is will become the measuring stick of your value. And what will happen if you cannot find rest is your success will make you arrogant and your failure will destroy you. And you will never find rest in your work. Does that, does that sound at all familiar? We have to find rest in God's story of work first. We have to rest first. That, 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 that is why it is so important what Jesus says to us in Matthew 11, which if you've ever looked up in our lobby, right, these words are, are in our, our lobby. Jesus, when he invites us, he's, he's talking about all of life, but he's talking about your work too. When he invites you into this conversation about work with him, he does not say, go do. Now go and do. He does not say, go and achieve. He does not say, go and succeed and then come back to me. What does he say? He says, come and rest. I will train you. I'll teach you. I will, if you give your life to me, I'll take your, your job, I'll take your vocation, and I will consecrate it as a force of redemption for the entire universe with a power and purpose and destiny that you cannot even imagine. Come to me. I will give you rest. So, cho so choose, choose rest. And then for the love of God and neighbor, let's get to work. Let's pray. Father, what a beautiful story you're telling in our world. And work is, is, is a part of that story we often forget, neglect.
it's amazing what you're doing. God, that you invite each and every one of us into your story of redemption and how you've gifted and called us to work. God, thank you. Equip us, bless the work of our hands. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We, we wanted to respond uh, in communion today because communion is this tangible place where we choose his rest again. I mean, and make no mistake, when Jesus says, here's my body broken and here's my blood shed, what he's offering to you is rest. He's saying, take this. Remember again you have an, I, that, that, in, that by my death and resurrection, the most important opinion in the world says, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, in you I am well pleased. Take this rest for yourself. And I know you're going, on Tuesday, maybe even tomorrow, you are going back to hard things. Uh, and sometimes a short week is actually a worse week. <laughs> so I want to start us off right. But take, take rest. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to this table. There are stations all around the room. Uh, come and, and receive this rest. If you are not a, a follower of Jesus or you're not sure and you're still considering this whole uh, uh, Jesus Christianity thing, that is, that is, that's fine. Um, I want you to invite you to stay, stay where you are. Um, don't do something you're not ready to do yet and, and consider this offer of rest. Uh, and, and that's fine. Stay, stay where you're seated. So whenever you're ready, uh, please come. I want to commission you in your various places of service. And I, I, I think this is something we need to do more often. I want you to hear all of us speak over each other that your work matters. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have different categories of, of work that I'll list off. And, if, and if, your, if your work is under that umbrella, I want you to raise your hand and receive the commissioning. And then we'll all say together, I'll say, may God bless the callings that you've received. And, and everyone will all say together, we give thanks to God for you. Your work matters. So it should be up here on the screen. So I want to start with for, for teachers, administrators, staff in education, or stay-at-home parents. I want you, if that's you, raise your hand. God has gifted and called you to teach and administer and serve those who are growing in knowledge and skills for their own future and for the world's. God grant you grace, truth, and skill as you bless the next generation with your insight and your experience. May God bless the calling that you have received. We give thanks to God for you. Your work matters. Now anyone in healthcare, mental health, uh, or in the healthcare industry in general, uh, please, if that's you, raise your hand and receive this. God has gifted and called you to care for the physical, mental, and emotional needs of others, to prevent and promote healthy bodies and minds and work toward the healing of pain and disease. God bless you with skill, humility, and care for all who receive God's care through you. May God bless the calling that you've received. We give thanks to God for you. Your work matters. For children and youth in the room, kiddos, raise your hand. God has gifted you with energy and inquisitiveness and growth in countless ways, has called you to be children that delight and mature us. God will grow you as students, kids having fun, and as youth exploring in many ways the world and your part, your calling in it. May God bless the calling that you have received. We give thanks to God for you. Your work matters. Okay, for those of you in the arts or craftsmen, craftspeople, uh, raise your hand.
God has gifted you in ways that many of us marvel at, and God has called you to use your gift for our joy and for the flourishing of society and God's glory. God bless your imaginations and inspirations and skills in such a way that life is made more beautiful for us. May God bless the calling that you have received. We give thanks to God for you. Your work matters. For those of you in agriculture or business or industry, uh, raise your hand. God has gifted and called you to lead and serve in ways that promote the prospering of individuals and families and societies, the flourishing of cities, the health of nations. May God bless you with entrepreneurial dreams, a leader's courage, a servant's heart, good working relationships, and success to bless others far beyond yourself. May God bless the calling that you've received. We give thanks to you, to God for you. Your work matters. For those uh, civil servants, uh, law enforcement, uh, legal profession, lawyers, uh, would you raise your hand? God has gifted and called you to protect the innocent and preserve peace, to defend justice and promote a well-functioning society and world. God bless you with safety, courage, and competence for your work as you trust in God's care and leading in your duties and calling. May God bless the callings that you've received. And we give thanks to God for you, your work matters. And for all others, all other vocations, please raise your hand. The range range of callings is as broad as this world and as diverse as her people. To these callings that have not been named, God has gifted and called you in ways that reflect your own unique preparation and interest and passion. May God bless you with joy and purpose in your work and your contribution with the ability to see the value of your gifts for others. May God bless the calling you have received. We give thanks to God for you. Your work matters. Now please stand. As you go and become the church scattered in, in your mission with God on Tuesday, go with this word of blessing. You are sent in the grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord, before you and behind you. Amen. Go in peace.